It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked on Seahawks, joined by my co-host Rob Rang. Thanks for listening in. Whether you're a new listener listening to Locked on Seahawks for the first time or a regular listener, glad to have you on board for today's show. We're going to be breaking down the 2017 draft class for Throwback Tuesday. And of course, we're going to take a look at the latest surrounding Russell Wilson and his future with the Seahawks. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. We're still nearly a month away from free agency, Rob, but it's already pretty clear one positional group the Seahawks are going to be prioritizing this offseason, and that is the tight end position. We heard a few weeks ago that Zach Ertz, the Eagles tight end, that the Seahawks had called and inquired about his availability. Nothing has happened on that front to this point, but per a source that's well-informed, He's not the only tight end that the Seahawks are taking a very close look at. Discussing the free agent market, Gerald Everett's already been linked to the Seahawks, but Jonu Smith of the Titans is now the latest player that I've been told the Seahawks are going to make an aggressive run at in free agency. This is a player that I think would be a very exciting addition. We talk about Shane Waldron coming to town, the offense that he potentially is going to be installing We know the Rams have loved throwing the football to their tight ends the last four years with Sean McVay as the head coach. Waldron's been on the staff. If they're going to be putting some of those wrinkles in, tight ends are going to be a bigger part of the passing game. So maybe it's not surprising that they are taking a serious look at a young player like Smith that still has a lot of potential to continue getting better. Yeah, that's the thing is even before the hiring of Shane Waldron, I, I thought that, that Seattle's uh, focus on the tight end position over the last couple of years has been very interesting. Um, and of course, a year ago with, with the signing of, of Greg Olson, um, with, with the, the draft selections of uh, Kobe Parkinson, uh, Stephon Sullivan, um, it really showed that the Seattle was interested in the tight end position and, and trying to add that to their offense. Uh, and I think that when you look at the NFC West division and that the, all the terrific pass rushers here and, and, and Russell Wilson's ability to uh, his, his accuracy um, Seattle's focus on the running game and the play auction pass and the quick little pop throw to the tight ends is one of the simplest things that you can do to mitigate those pass rushes especially if you don't have a terrific offensive line the way that the Seattle has struggled with over recent years so to me just a tight end in general makes a lot of sense and then when you're talking about a player like Johnny Smith who has been a, a, an ascending player throughout his time in the NFL. I mean, I remember scouting this young man when he's coming out of Florida International at the at the Senior Bowl back in, I think it was 2017. I mean, this guy, sometimes you, you see athletes who are listed at a certain height or weight or whatever, and then they take their shirt off and you can see that they are not quite the, the physical specimen uh, you know, that, that you maybe are expecting for an NFL player. 
He's the, the opposite. He is 6'3", 245 pounds, and he's got the six-pack and, and the whole thing. I mean, he is built. He looked like an NFL athlete even years ago coming out of Florida International. Again, Florida International, I keep mentioning that because they are not a program that is known for producing a huge number of high-ranking NFL prospects. But once you saw Johnny Smith in action, you knew that he was a legitimate player. He is coming from a scheme in Tennessee that is kind of similar to Seattle and that they like to run the ball right down their throat. Uh, you have a quarterback who is a, is a dual threat guy. He can move around. He also has good accuracy down the middle of the field. So to me, he, John Smith might, it would be a really intriguing addition to Seattle's office as with Gerald Everett. I just, and I don't know that Gerald ever wants to hear this, but I think that Johnny Smith is actually the better player. And that's the thing is that I would suspect Seattle and a number of other teams to be very, very interested in this still ascending prospect. Yeah, that's going to be the big issue here because I have to 110% agree with you. And I don't care if Gerald Everett's offended. I think that Johnny Smith is a significantly better player. And you mentioned him being an ascending talent. He's improved his reception and receiving yardage numbers each of the past four seasons, all four years he's been in the league, last year set a new career high with eight touchdown receptions. A big chunk of that production came in the first half of the season. And then second half, their offense wasn't quite as dynamic. They lost Taylor Luan, their starting tackle, to an ACL tear, so they had to keep Smith in to block a little bit more. Not as many routes for him out as a receiver. And so his production was impacted by that. But this kid is only 25 years old. You mentioned what kind of a specimen he was coming out of Florida International. He ran a 4.62 40-yard dash, had a 38-inch vertical. So we're talking about one of those true freaks at the tight end position, and he's got a really solid catch rate above 60% all four years he's been in the league. Very few drops. He's had a couple of them, but for the most part, very reliable hands. He's improved as a blocker. That is not a strength in his game necessarily, but This is a guy that can play in the backfield. You can play him as a wing. You can play in the slot. You can play him in line as a tight end. He's got enough size and strength to do that. So he is that true move tight end that Shane Waldron is going to be looking for. So it's not surprising to me. The Seahawks are interested. The big issue is going to be that price point. How much is he going to cost? I've been seeing anywhere from 35 to 40 million over a four-year deal. The Seahawks gave Greg Olson 7 million for one season last year. At the tail end of his career, though, I wouldn't be shocked the Seahawks open up some cap space that they are willing to spend eight, nine million dollars per year to bring in a true dynamic number one tight end. And no offense to Will Disley, but John U. Smith is that guy with that kind of potential. And this seems like a scheme playing in that Ram style offense where he could really take that next step forward as a receiver. Oh, I absolutely agree. I think that, that John Smith, again, is an ascending talent. Uh, I think that he's never played with a quarterback who is even close to as as talented as Russell Wilson. Um, and, and so I think that his numbers would continue to climb if he was to sign with the Seahawks. Uh, again, Seattle's offense, I expect to uh, to feature the tight end. We, we have talked so many times over the past couple of weeks, Corbin, about you know the Seattle's need to find a third pair of reliable hands. And so whether that be a wide receiver, whether it be a running 
running back out of the backfield, or in my opinion, the position that makes the most sense, again, tight end, because of how quickly and easily that can mitigate the pass rush. And so John Luke Smith's ability to do precisely that, I, I think, makes a lot of sense. And so I, I expect Seattle to uh, very much evaluate all the tight ends that are in free agency, all the tight ends in this draft class, because they've already shown an interest in that position. And then when they brought in Shane Waldron to be their offensive coordinator, that just kind of proves that much more how much they are interested in, in the tight end position. Because, of course, you look at what Shane Waldron did with the Rams and the fact that they were able to use the aforementioned Gerald Everett as well as Tyler Higby as kind of a one-two combination to really complement their offense. You, you mentioned Will Disley, and I mentioned earlier Kobe Parkinson. I'm sure that Seattle is really intrigued by what Will Disley – Kobe Parkinson at 6'6", 240 pounds, what he might be able to provide, but you don't, you can't rely on either of those two players. You know, Disley with the durability issues, the fact that he's never going to be an elite straight line speed guy, he's not going to challenge down the seam. His ability is as a blocker and as a kind of a security uh, blanket for the quarterback in the short to intermediate range. But with Johnny Smith and that 4'6 speed that you mentioned before, he is that legitimate seam breaker. And the kind of guy that you know when we think about what Pete Carroll said at the end of his pre- of his of the end of season uh, press conference when he said that he wants to be able to face defenses that are not just always lined up in too deep coverage well one of the ways that you do that is you attack right down the seam with a tight end and Johnny Smith has the ability to do precisely that the other thing I really like about Johnny Smith I believe it was 2019 that he had 14 broken tackles this is a guy that can create after the catch. There are not a lot of tight ends in the NFL that can do that, but Jonu Smith is one of those rare guys that can. He can beat you down the seam. He's got really good speed. He's got that vertical that I mentioned. So we're talking about a very athletic guy with reliable hands. A lot of teams are going to be interested. I wouldn't be surprised if half the league is taking a look at Jonu Smith when free agency opens, assuming the Titans let him go. They are in a tough cap situation, though, so from what I'm hearing, the expectation is he's going to hit the market. Once that happens, I could see the Seahawks making a serious run. Some people might scoff at that a little bit say we need offensive line help, but I think tight end, they've clearly made it known that that is the other position right now they really want to improve going into the 2021 season, and Jonu Smith absolutely would check off that box. You bring in a young player that's still got a lot of upside, a lot of potential that already has developed into one of the better young tight ends in the NFL. It'd be a great signing. We'll just see how much it takes to bring him in, how much he's going to cost, and we'll see how the salary cap situation impacts teams trying to chase after him in free agency. When we come back in the second quarter, it's Throwback Tuesday. Last week, we started our latest series looking back at Seattle's draft classes dating back to 2016. This week, we're going to do the 2017 draft class We're going to re-examine all the picks the Seahawks made in that draft. When we return, you're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and NHL are in full swing. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using the code Locked On. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. This is David Harrison of the Locked On Commanders podcast, and this episode 
is brought to you by Discover. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined by Rob Rang. February is Black History Month, and the Locked On Podcast Network is honoring the challenges and success of black men and women in sports with a new series called Locked On Presents More Than the Game. This week, Candace Cooper of Locked On Tar Heels and Ross Jackson of Locked On Saints discuss holding space and the balance of discussing blackness in sports. Subscribe to the Locked On Presents podcast feed on the radio.com app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Throwback Tuesday. We're going to be taking a look at all of the recent draft classes by the Seahawks over the next several weeks. We started the series last week looking back at 2016. Rob, today we're going to fast forward to one season further, the 2017 draft class. And obviously, Seattle's first selection that they made in this draft did not pan out. Malik McDowell didn't even participate in a training camp practice. So obviously that one was a failure. But when you look at this draft class as a whole, it feels like this was a group that had so much potential in the first couple seasons they were in Seattle. And then they just, unfortunately, a lot of these players have kind of flatlined or they hit a wall and are no longer with the team. And there's really a a strong chance that every single player from that 2017 class will have moved on by the time the Seahawks start the 2021 season. Shaquille Griffin is a free agent. Lano Hill is a free agent. Most of the other players that were on that draft class have already vacated town one way or another. Yeah, that's the thing. And this is an 11-man draft class. Um, and this is one that, as you said, Corbin, has so much potential. Um, you know, the, the, the tragedy that was Malik McDowell's career in the NFL, um, I, I think that that bears repeating at this point just because he really could have been kind of the crown jewel of that draft class. I mean, you're, you're, there's very few people who are 6'6", 300 pounds, and have the initial quickness, the lateral agility, the power that Malik McDowell possesses. I remember having a conversation with a couple of scouts at the Combine previous to that draft, and, and, and they basically put me on the spot and said, name me a couple of players who have these types of physical dimensions. And, and I would ask you to look through the list of the NFL players. You're going to come up with guys with the names of like Chris Jones, the Kansas city chief, obviously a, a pro bowler, um, JJ Watt, the all pro and former NFL defensive end uh, player of the year. Um, you know, currently an unrestricted free agent at this point, but previously with the Houston Texans, of course, there's very few of them. So Malik McDowell had all the potential in the world and obviously for so many different reasons that we've discussed in the past that that his time in the nfl has you know withered away but you look at the rest of this this class um you know seattle has a number of free agents i mean shaquille griffin i am not convinced that seattle is going to allow shaquille griffin to leave i I think that he is among the better young cornerbacks in the nfl he's going to cost an awful lot of money to bring him back and i don't know that seattle is going to be willing to do that but at the same time, to me, he is absolutely a terrific player that you got, you know, in, on day two. And then you look at Chris Carson, the seventh round pick, of course, who who is 
very much exceeded all expectations. If you would have flipped this draft the way that a lot of people like to do when they have the conversation about, say, DK Metcalf and LJ Collier and say, hey, well, if you had selected DK Metcalf in the first round, everybody would be happy about it. Same kind of thing. If you had selected Chris Carson in the first round of that year, when, when Seattle instead selected Malik McDowell, and given the production that Chris Carson has had over the last couple of years, I think the people, Seahawks fans, would be pretty happy with that. At the same time, to your point, who knows if the Seattle is going to be able to retain Chris Carson as well as Ethan Posick, uh, you know, the, the, the guard slash center slash tackle and all the other positions that he's played over his, his career in Seattle. So I, I think it's a really good point that this is a good draft class. It's one that does have a great deal of potential, but at the same time has kind of flatlined a little bit. And so it's going to be interesting to see who among those players that Seattle is going to try to retain on that second contract because there is real talent here. It's just how much of that talent is going to be playing for the Seahawks in 2021. Yeah, and like I said, you look at Shaquille Griffin's game and maybe the Seahawks are going to pony up the cash to re-sign him. That's one of the big unknowns going towards free agency. We don't know whether teams are going to value him. Matt, he is still a very young player. He was a pro bowler two years ago, but he took a step back in 2020. Not a bad season necessarily, but again, his progress got halted. And then you had some players in this draft class. Nas Jones, I thought after his rookie season, Nas Jones was maybe going to be a building block on this defensive line. And then a couple years later, he's out of the league because he was battling knee issues, really was in the doghouse his second season with the Seahawks. Nobody could figure out what's going on there. Tedrick Thompson, they tried to make him the replacement for Earl Thomas. That obviously didn't work out. They released him last year. And so this is a class where you had a lot of players. Amara Darbo was a guy they were very excited about and never did anything in Seattle. He's out of the league now. So they really whiffed on a lot of picks in this draft, but they did get some late-round value with players like David Moore and Chris Carson, both being seventh-rounders. And now Seattle's got to figure out whether they're going to have the money to be able to re-sign those two players, along with Shaquille Griffin and Ethan Posick. Lano Hill, he's had injury issues. He hasn't lived up to expectations. They thought he might be the heir apparent to Cam Chancellor, and that didn't work out. And so this was a draft where you had a lot of really high upside players that this organization was fired up about. And unfortunately, you had one in McDowell that never played it down for this team. And it ended up costing them down the line, too, because they had to trade for Sheldon Richardson in consequence of that injury suffered in that ATV accident. And they ended up renting him for one year, and they gave up a second-round pick in part of that trade. So that's a second-rounder they would have loved to have back in a future season that was no longer in their arsenal. And so McDowell, that was just unfortunately a bad situation that just kept on wreaking havoc for the Seahawks for a couple of years, and they weren't able to rebound from that necessarily. Getting Puna Ford obviously helped in the defensive tackle position from a talent and depth standpoint, but you had that situation. Posick wasn't a starter till his fourth year last year, and he was a pedestrian mid-level starter that did okay. He was serviceable, but nothing spectacular at the center position. Griffin, again, took a little bit of a step back last year. So I look at this group, and to me, this is probably a C, C-minus draft class, in my opinion, because there's just too many whiffs. And obviously, John Schneider can't be blamed for Malik McDowell's situation. Nobody knew that he was going to get an ATV accident like that. That was just unfortunate luck. It was a bad situation. Nobody could have seen that particular thing happening 
Uh, but you look at some of the other picks that they missed on in the early rounds. The fact that it took Ethan Posick that long to become a serviceable starter, his time at the guard position, he was up and down, had injury issues. Some of the other players that were very high on this class, like Lano Hill and Tedder Thompson, didn't pan out. Some late round values, what really salvages this grade for me, because I felt like the first five rounds of this draft, aside from Shaquille Griffin, they really struggled to find impact players that either could stay healthy or were consistently able to play well on the field. Yeah, that's the thing. Again, when you have 11 opportunities to make selections, um, and Seattle did, as they often do, did find a couple of uh, diamonds in the rough and undrafted free agency as well, um, specifically with Jordan Roos, Tyrone Swoops, um, you know, the, the guard and, and the tight end, respectively. Uh, I think you have to look at their entire draft class, and I, I would be a little bit uh, more optimistic as far as my grade. I, w- I would probably give the, the group a, a B minus, a C plus, because again, those seventh round selections that you just highlighted, I mean, Chris Carson, especially, in, in my opinion, Chris Carson at his best is among the, the top five, seven running backs in all the NFL. I, I think this guy's an absolute superstar. At the same time, the major caveat there, of course, is durability. He has never yet finished an NFL season completely healthy, and that is a huge issue, of course. So, um, But again, the fact that he was your seventh-round selection, and, and at the same time, I, I would also argue with you a touch about that the John Schneider should have known better with Malik McDowell. There are 31 other NFL general managers out there who, who knew that this was a guy who had a great deal of physical upside, but at the same time, the, the red flags on this guy were bright red. You know, they they were. I don't uh, know if they were that red. <laughs> well, they were pretty bad. They were pretty. I mean, because in terms of just work ethic, in, in terms of um, you mm-hmm. know just the, the the games that he would take off at the moments that he took off, and just wasn't the same kind of a of a difference maker that his talent indicated that he could be. There were a lot of NFL I, – I'd spoke to some NFL teams that said he's not on our board, period, seven rounds, and, and Seattle takes him, you know, with, with the top 50 selection. I mean, so that that was a shocker for a lot of people. Um, and so at the same time, we, we see players all the time. Randy Moss, Warren Sapp, you know, had were, were considered uh, character concerns as well, and obviously they went on to Hall of Fame careers, and there's a lot of general managers out there. Who, who questioned whether they should have taken them earlier as well. So I, I would argue that um, the, the lack of productivity for the first and second day selections that Seattle made that draft class, um, you know, is it, disappointing. At, at the same time, again, we're talking about Seattle would probably like to retain all four of those starters that we have been referring to so far. We in Shaquille Griffin, Ethan Postick, Chris Carson, and I still believe that David Moore is a talented NFL player. He just not hasn't taken that next step yet. And I wonder how much of that is David Moore and how much of that was the offensive scheme that Seattle has been using the last couple of years. And so to me, that's the thing that about this conversation about this uh, draft class. I think we have to kind of keep in mind here is that. I anticipate that you are going to see a couple of these players wind up playing elsewhere in in future seasons. And I'm very curious to see how they do elsewhere. The same way I was curious, uh, you know, to see some of Seattle's past uh, draft picks that have gone on to be, you know, NFL starters and other schemes in past years. I'm curious to see if Seattle does allow Shaquille Griffin to leave. or, Or Chris Carson or whoever the case might be. How do they perform at their next uh, you know, in the, in the next NFL city, because you do see legitimate NFL talent. And in a lot of ways, they are some of the backbone that has helped Seattle retain the success that they've had over the last several years. 
And this is still a draft class because we're just at the end of their rookie contracts. This is still a draft class a couple years from now if players like Chris Carson and Shaquille Griffin come back and they stay in Seattle and they have several more really good seasons, then that is going to ultimately bump up your grade because then you've got two players that were really good for you for multiple contracts. So that changes the game. For me, the biggest reason that the grade gets weighed down is because of players like Nas Jones that you saw potential in. And unfortunately, it was a very brief flash. And then after that, either injuries or just inconsistent play, those players just didn't get better. And so those ones especially hurt in a draft class where you already had one player that never played it down for you in Malik McDowell. And so there's a lot of good and there's a lot of bad when you look at this draft class. But a pretty uneven one with plenty of players that ended up having a big uh, impact on several playoff teams for the Seahawks. Next week, we'll look at 2018 as we get closer to the present. And some of those players now that have had three seasons in the NFL to evaluate that draft class at this point. When we come back in the third quarter, it's time to talk about Russell Wilson, because why not? We've kind of been sidestepping the conversation to an extent here on Locked on Seahawks, but we've had a lot of listeners pressing us for our thoughts what we think about Russell Wilson's situation, his future in Seattle. So Rob and I are kind of kind of go in a little bit impromptu here and discuss our thoughts on Wilson's future with the franchise and what all the latest rumors mean moving forward. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody and are reliably low. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. RockAuto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or account login. It's a family business serving auto part customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand specifications and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low. And the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com This Locked On Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. 
Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. This is your host, Corbin Smith, joined by Rob Rang, NFL analyst Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson host Locked On's Peacock and Williamson every Monday through Friday. Brian and Matt give you the national perspective all around the NFL, covering all the latest news and insight on every game, team, and move around the NFL. Get your picks and previews and much more every day with the Peacock and Williamson podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So, Russell Wilson, let's just get right to it, Rob, because this is something that now has been going on for close to three weeks. Russell Wilson has a couple of interviews, one with the Dan Patrick Show and then one that was with General Media after winning the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. What a 48 hours that it was. Wilson gets the most prestigious award that an individual can win in the NFL as the Man of the Year. And then less than 48 hours later, there are reports surfacing that he's discontent in Seattle, that he's getting frustrated with the lack of protection. He made that clear himself, really broke his normal public persona, displaying those frustrations and making them public, talking about wanting to be more involved with personnel decisions as well. And so this has led three weeks now of rumors that have circulated around his future in Seattle. Everybody is speculating what it would take for another team to be able to trade for Russell Wilson. Mike Silver of NFL Network yesterday said that a third of the NFL's teams have called the Seahawks about Wilson's availability, and he believes the starting point for a discussion would probably be three first-round picks to be able to get Russell Wilson. So there's all this talk going on right now. I guess I want to just start right here because you and I haven't had much of a chance one-on-one to talk about this, but where do you stand in this Russell Wilson situation? I've made it clear to our listeners, I, I think that right now the idea of a trade happening is ludicrous. There are a ton of reasons, not just the fact that there's $39 million in dead cap hits, but it just seems to me like right now that this would be the ultimate fail by the Seahawks to go out and make this move. And Russell Wilson, all the sources I've talked to, he's not demanded a trade. This is not like he's pulling a Deshaun Watson, he's staying away from the team and saying, get rid of me, I don't want to be here. That's not the way that Russell Wilson was talking necessarily a few weeks ago. But my viewpoint is he was sending a message to the organization. If we don't fix some of this stuff, if my pass protection doesn't get better and we're not competing for Super Bowls, then I may have a foot out the door here in the near future. I just don't think right now, I feel like it's getting overblown. It it seems to me like your typical offseason fodder. And it's a lot different situations than a lot of the other quarterback movement that we are seeing right now this offseason. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I think this is a complicated issue. I, I think that, for one, Russell Wilson is easily the best player the Seattle Seahawks have ever had um, at, at the most important position. And so because of that, um, I, I think that we have to – you know, acknowledge that he does have some power with this franchise. Um, you know, he's had the only head coach, the only general manager that he's ever worked with in Seattle. Um, so he doesn't have the, uh, he has some buy-in with them that some of the other players in the NFL may not have because of the turnover in their respective franchises. Uh, I think that at the same time, you, you also cannot give the player that much power. I think that there is not a player in the NFL, NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball that is untradeable. Um, you know, the fact that there has never been an NFL team win a Super Bowl that had allocated as much of their salary cap to one player as the Seahawks currently have with Russell Wilson right now. 
Uh, you have a general manager in John Schneider who is very, very confident in his ability to be able to, uh, you know, find talent in the in the NFL draft as well as free agency and via trade. I think that there is possibilities that if Russell Wilson wants out. Uh, I think that Seattle would give him that opportunity as long as some other NFL team is going to give them, you know, good quality, uh, you know, value for, again, a, a future Hall of Fame quarterback still very much in the prime of his career who has a sterling reputation both on the field as well as off the field. It's not just about his talent. It's not just about who he is off the field. It's about the durability as much as anything else. He is as reliable as the U.S. mail. And so that's the thing is that there, of course, they're going to be at least a third of the NFL teams. I would argue just about probably 28 out of the 32 NFL teams should be knocking on John Schneider's door right now saying, hey, you want to trade Russell Wilson? We're interested, you know, but at the same time, again, you, you can't win a Super Bowl with a pedestrian quarterback. And I think that the Seahawks realize that as well as anybody and anybody who has been following this franchise since 1976 and has had a lot of really solid quarterbacks, the Jim Zorns, the Dave Craigs, the Matt Hasselbacks, they've had one NFL MVP caliber quarterback. And so I think that the Seahawks are going to, sure, they're going to listen to offers the way that they have all the entire time. But at the same time, I would have to agree with you, Corbin. I think that it is very unlikely that Seattle is going to be willing to trade Russell Wilson. Sure, if someone gives them an absolutely unbelievable deal, again, the fact that you have John Schneider with his confidence, the fact that both Schneider and Pete Carroll have re-upped for five-year contracts, they've got some time here. You know, so they could do this. I certainly don't want to say that they will not or could not. They could. It just it's so counter to everything that this franchise has done for so long that, yes, I do believe this is the typical offseason, as you said. And this is a lot of people trying to make a mound out of a molehill, taking tiny little quotes and just trying to parse it the way that they want. That way they can get more views on their particular website. And there are a lot of fans out there. I had this discussion on social media this morning, I ended up writing an article about it because it's just been a consistent topic. A lot of fans wondering why John Schneider and Pete Carroll won't just come out and say, we're not trading Russell Wilson and just really put out the fire. But that has never been their style. And quite honestly, I can understand why they wouldn't want to do that because you're just validating some of the things that people are saying, these wild rumors. If you come out and you say, no, you know, we're not going to do this. They're going to do what they always do. They are going to sit in the background. They're not going to be declaring their commitment to Russell Wilson on a press conference this time of year. That's not what they're going to do. Now, how can they show that they are going to reaffirm their commitment to Russell Wilson? They do that with the moves they make this offseason, the decisions that they make in coming weeks with players that are on their team that are going to be free agents, which ones they re-sign, which players they let go, which players get extensions, which ones get traded or cut. They're going to have to create cap space so they can put some more talent around Russell Wilson how do they address the offensive line? That was clearly the number one thing that he mentioned a few weeks ago. He's tired of getting hit so much and pass protection issues. So go get him a legitimate starting center or left guard that's going to be an upgrade over what you had. But to do that, you're going to have to make some other difficult moves. So what the Seahawks choose to do the next several weeks is going to be your indicator with how they plan to move forward. And if they've lost some of Russell Wilson's trust, they can re-earn that trust with making some decisions that he backs that 
really fit what he wants to see with his football team moving forward. And again, you don't want to give your quarterback the assistant general manager title. You don't want him to have that much power. But a player of Russell Wilson's talent, somebody that's led your team to the playoffs all but one of his nine seasons, he's taking to two Super Bowls, that is a player that has earned the right to be involved in that decision-making process, like you see with Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay, and he got to bring in a lot of players. He had input on that. The players they brought in, why do you think Rob Gronkowski got traded for? I mean, Tom Brady was pulling those strings. Russell Wilson wants that kind of power. The Seahawks can give that to him without just turning the keys over to him and saying, you're the new general manager. John Schneider still gets final say. Front office still gets final say. But your quarterback can be heavily involved in that. And so I think if they do that, and they go out and they address the offensive line. And I'm not talking about signing Luke Jokel. We're not signing mid-tier, low-tier free agents for what we deem bargains. Jokel was not a bargain, by the way. But go out and get a legitimate game changer like a Corey Lindsley or a Brandon Scherf or a Joe Thune, somebody that has played at a Pro Bowl, All-Pro level for multiple seasons, not just a one-hit wonder. Go get that guy. You have the flexibility to create the cap space. Go really upgrade that offensive line and maybe add one more weapon. Maybe it's Johnny Smith. Maybe it's a receiver like a Josh Reynolds or a T.Y. Hilton. Go get another weapon for him, improve his pass protection, and let him have input on that. And I think that all this can be swept to the side. And maybe next year, if things pan out on the field and the Seahawks are competing for a title and the pass protection is better and Russell Wilson's just feeling happier coming out of the offseason, maybe next year we won't have Jason Lock and Four reporting that there's discontent. And it'll be the first time in like three years. And it'll be a beautiful offseason. So maybe I'm just imagining things right now, Rob, but that's the way I view it. To me, that's the way you go. Think about how complicated things become if you're the Seahawks and you're like, you know what? We're just going to blow everything up. We got a deal for three first rounders. We're going to ship him out of town. $39 million dead cap hit. Oh, we're going to have to trade a bunch more guys because we're now way over the cap. To me, it just doesn't make sense. You, you don't make that move here. You do what you need to do to make your quarterback happy. And I think that leads to getting back to the big game. Well, yeah, absolutely. I think that just win, baby. I mean, that's the thing is that winning will will you know solve all issues. I, I have no doubt about that. Just knowing how competitive the Russell Wilson is, how competitive that that Pete Carroll and John Schneider are, um, you know. So I think that yeah, I think this this off season is going to be fascinating. I mean, because I do think that Seattle has to give Russell Wilson at least a little bit of a say, a little bit of a peek behind the curtain to, to try to have some, uh, some influence on what moves that the Seahawks might make in terms of free agency, in terms of the guys that they're going to try to sign that are not part of this franchise currently, in terms of the players that they try to re-sign, um, and then obviously as far as who they draft and what positions and all that. You know, one of the things that, that I've – I believe I know I have been told from from well-placed sources over the last couple of years is that that Russell Wilson has very much been kind of against the idea of drafting young offensive linemen early, pushing them into starting roles because they're going to struggle. Most rookies, especially along the offensive line, are going to struggle. However, the the the, the solid play of Damian Lewis this past year, I, I think maybe. Things. Maybe changes things a little bit. There's no question that Seattle has 
huge holes along the offensive line that they have to figure out something, whether it be a free agent and a veteran or whether it be a rookie. Um, and the same thing with, with adding some more weapons. You know, DK Metcalf and the struggles that he had at durability his time at Ole Miss. Tyler Lockett being built like a string being the way that he is. You always have the, the questions about durability. And there's no question. I don't care how good Russell Wilson is. And I think that he is phenomenal. But if you lose either one of those wide receivers, then his statistics and Seattle's chances of actually winning football games plummets. So you have to be able to find somebody else. So again, that's what's going to be fascinating about this offseason is who does Seattle prioritize in terms of free agency, in terms of the draft, how much of a say that Russell Wilson have in, in those decisions. And, and I think ultimately it is going to wind up being Russell Wilson staying with the Seahawks in 2021, as most of us, I think, logically expect. Um, and at the same time, seeing if the Seattle is going to be a little bit more willing to be aggressive. You know, we've talked in previous episodes about how the Green Bay Packers, who are a team that had, had traditionally been very, very uh, kind of lukewarm to the idea of spending big dollars and their willingness to to sign the, the two Smith, the two Smith guys, you know, on the outside edge rushers and really being able to bulk up their defense. And suddenly that team gets catapulted into the, the NFC championship game this past season, number one overall seed. I think that the Seattle might have to try and consider that option. It's just going to be really interesting to see if they're able to pull that off because there are so many things working against them in terms of salary cap and, again, having just the four draft picks this year. They do have mechanisms. A lot of tough decisions coming, though. There's no question there are going to be some good players at some point that are likely going to have to be let go, whether that's trades, releasing those players. They're going to have to make a few tough decisions, especially if they have some of their own free agents they want to keep as well. And so a lot of moving parts here. But, again, I think what happens here when the new league year opens next month, what the Seahawks choose to do there is going to send a message about their intentions for the future. If they are more aggressive going after offensive line help, I think that tells you all you need to know. They're wanting to do what Russell Wilson wants them to do. They want to keep their quarterback happy, and they want to try to make it that things work out long-term, and they don't have to explore trade opportunities down the road. If they go out and they do a lot of the same stuff they've done in the past and they sign a bunch of players for one-year contracts that aren't difference makers, you might have just further infuriated your quarterback. And so we're going to learn a lot here in the next come, uh, next few weeks here. What's going to happen with the Seahawks, how they're going to overhaul this roster, trying to get back to the Super Bowl? Are they going to follow Russell Wilson's uh, pleas, so to speak? We'll just have to wait and see. It's going to be an exciting, critical offseason for the organization, as well as front office, coaching staff, and the player, all facets. This is a critical offseason any way that you slice it. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast by visiting our website, LockedOnSeahawks.com. Coming up on tomorrow's episode, I'll be joined by special guest Rob Staten of Seahawks Draft Blog. The two of us will be discussing two drastically different approaches the Seahawks could take to overhaul their roster this offseason. There will be plenty of debate on a number of critical topics, including the futures of Bobby Wagner and Jamal Adams and much more. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks! If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. 
Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.